Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. This is a special edition, a bonus episode. I like to do this from time to time. Maybe I'll have an interview with someone that I don't have recorded for video, like I did with Adam Hambrook, or maybe I do like a really cool live stream that I want to throw your way, like I did with Daniel Ladinsky way, way back when with uh, the Neverly Boys. And so this time, it's a barrel pick with some of my club members and I'm excited to bring this to you because, listen, I'm a big fan of New Riff. If you've been following my tastings over the years, you know how much I love New Riff. And you know how well New Riff has done in my blind tastings. Probably one of the best cases in point was a couple years ago when it every, everything they entered at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition earned a double gold. So it's real fascinating to me to see like this brand grow and to see how its flavor has evolved and how it's actually built kind of a, like a cult following. And it's built a cult following through this, through barrel picks, just like this. So this was live streamed on my YouTube channel the other day, and I wanted to bring it to you. So sit back, listen, and uh, whether you're driving or whether you are at home, remember, when you do something like this, please drink responsibly. It cannot be said enough that you know bourbon is a fun hobby for us all. But we do need to heed the call of drinking responsibly. That means a lot to me personally. So I appreciate you all tuning in. A couple other things. I am now helping uh, with uh, the Ronald McDonald House here in Kentuckiana to raise funds through a Pappy Rappel. You can go to fredminnick.com to check that out. Go to fredminnick.com to check that out. So I will uh, see you all on Tuesday when I have a new guest on the show, and we talk whiskey and more. Cheers. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by The Beeline, Michter's, and 291 Colorado Whiskey. And hello, everybody. Welcome to a live stream on the Fred Minnick Channel. I am joined by some uh, really good friends. Pete Sabo, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. Now, celebrating Pete, bottled and bond day the right way today. Celebrating bottled and bond day, of course. Now, Pete, you're normally on the other side. You're normally just watching. So, welcome to yeah. to live. Is there is there anything you want to say to the YouTube community? Uh, just uh, thanks to everybody putting out good content and you know the uh, the research and I think all the community and the conversations and knowledge shared between everybody is really valuable and that's kind of the that's been the best part so and now you're no you're everybody. you're known as peerless pete for your love for peerless so there's a lot of people who uh who have money on you today is whether or not you're going to break out some peerless notes in this tasting so oh, that should that should be very interesting of course uh biff benson what's up man how are you what's going on fred how are you now we're normally accompanied by our good friend Hog in the uh, in the conversations. Uh, are you gonna Are you gonna be able to get through this without Hog? Because you you got to dip into your old tasting days. You know, I, I fear the moments in life that I that I don't have that to rely on. But I'm pretty sure he's watching. So <laughs> so he's he's here in spirit. He's gonna be with you. Oh, he's always here in spirit. Yeah. May the Hog be with you. And, of course, uh, Jay from New Riff. Jay and I go way back. Uh, I want to say that, you know, Jay, I was there when you guys broke ground, when you opened up, when you first filled barrels. 
I mean, uh, I, I've, I've been so excited to see the journey of New Riff and how far along you've come. But of course, I'm always hounding you about doing one thing, and that's writing a, it's writing a book, writing a book about the history of the Cincinnati area distilling because nobody knows more about the Cincinnati history, that area of distilling than you do, my friend. And for me to say that, you know how much depth of knowledge this man has. And so today is a very special day. It's Bottled and Bond Day. You tried to get me to do an event today. I was like, I can't pull it off. Don't have enough time. But today is March 3rd, 2021. It's the anniversary of the Bottled and Bond Act. And E.H. Taylor rightfully gets a lot of credit. Uh, so does Atherton. But tell us about some of the folks in northern Kentucky and Cincinnati that played a big role in, in Bottled and Bond. Right. You know, the, the, the really the prime mover of the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897 was uh, John Carlisle, who uh, did so from his perch as uh, Secretary of the Treasury uh, at that time. Um, but uh, uh, he, he was, a, a, I guess, a Kentucky first a state representative and a state senator and later was elected to, I believe, seven terms in the United States House of Representatives. He was a native of Kenton County, which is the one right over there uh, next door to us here in Campbell County, and uh, is a, was a native more or less of Covington, Kentucky, where he lived and is buried now. So um, we are the, the sort of, you know, birthplace, if you will, of the guy who really got that ball rolling. Of course, he had a lot of help from uh, some of the distillers, uh, notably, as you say, E.H. Taylor, but they needed someone you know, high up in the government to, to, to lead that charge as well. And he made sure it got through. So uh, we're pleased that a, that a local boy uh, established what is to date, all these years later, the highest quality standard for brown spirits in the world. That's right. And, you know, you, you all have some bottled and bond out. And, of course, today we're going to be doing a new riff, uh, uh, you know, barrel pick. Uh, I can promise you that you won't see any, uh, you know, puns of like of, of riff on here. This is just going to say the Fred Minnick show on it. But, uh, you know, I will tell you that one of the one of the things that's really kind of grown about the new riff barrel pick experience is everyone's uh, play on the stickers that they slap on there. I don't think there's been a brand that's gotten more stickers than new riff. Tell me about it. <laughs> He says that like, yeah, tell me about it. I remember the Rick Petito one. Uh, ooh, don't want to talk about that one. You know, we, we salute the, the uh, passion and, and joie de vivre that the, the stickers come with. That's a lot of fun, you know, uh, and some of them are, are terribly witty. There's also some that are sexist, uh, some that are objectionable in lots of other ways, some that uh, tread on various copyrights that, that we don't want to be associated with. And uh, there's also some that, you know, take our bottle and you cover up a lot of it. And things like the age tape. You know how hard it was? So hard to get a four-year-old bourbon out yeah. on the market. It's like having two babies, you know? Um, sorry, women of the world. I've never had a baby. I'm a father, but not a, not a mother. But I'm sh I, it looks pretty painful. <laughs> We're so proud of that age statement. And people cover it up. So we, we enjoy the fun that people have with them. But we do wish that people would uh, would not harm our own brand and and branding and stuff. There's enough space on the back of our bottle to put uh, a modest sticker of tasteful design, and and we encourage folks to do that. Uh, 
Absolutely, Will. I am with you on that. I am uh, in the camp. Uh, I've never really been a sticker fan. I mean, people do them. Pete, you do a lot of the barrel picking. What do you think of the stickers? Um, I think it uh, it's basically consumed itself now, where you can just get a cool sticker, tap on nostalgia, intellectual property rights, you know, get rid of And it just hypes up and throws pricing way off. But um, I, I think New Riff, I think they've done really well with it. And I understand the stress of having people say whatever and slapping it on your bottle like, you know, irresponsibly that'd be that's nervous but i think for the most part you guys have really fared well with it and i know uh some of them have been more a little more famous and spicy than the others though now like Rick, Bi- biff know. are you are you a sticker guy i mean i actually don't know your your background with stickers uh you know no no i i try not to let the uh the, the shiny stuff distract me but i mean i am a you can't help but have your eye drawn to something that's clever or, you know, riffy. So, <laughs> Well played, well played. So I, I am very excited about this. Uh, we've got uh, – we have three Kentucky straight bourbons here to taste. Uh, we've got barrel uh, 170743. Uh, this is distilled uh, February 3rd, 2017. We've got barrel 163449, distilled uh, December 6, 2016. Oh, my. And then we have uh, barrel 170126, January 6, 2017. That's my parents' anniversary, January 6. So That's my birthday. Oh, what a great day. Let's we should pick it. that one. I mean, right? Just right off the bat. Just, it's got like a good... So let's just all kind of like look at the color here. Brad, oh. uh, what, what order do you want to taste these in? I tell you what, you're, you're, uh, these, are your, these are your babies. I would love to know... Uh, I, let's go with your... However you want to do it. However you want to do it. Well, you know, just for the sake of simplicity, we could go in numerical order. So beginning with the 16 and then uh, 126 and 73... So uh, we also could work backwards in age, although the discrepancy in age here is consequential. Sounds sounds good. So we'll that so we'll do it numerical then. So we'll start okay. with uh, three, four, four, nine. And by the way, by the way, everybody, uh, we will uh, all get a new riff tattoo on our on our backside when this is all done to like celebrate the uh, the the new riff uh, tradition here with the with the Fred Minnick Show barrel picks. Biff, are you, you down for this? Fred, if you get a tattoo, just make sure it doesn't cover up your age statement. Yeah. <laughs> You're assuming we don't already have that. Listen, my age statement's in the fat roll. All right, here we go. Just for all the viewers at home, too, let me try to ASMR. Is that what that's called? So, you are tasting with a with a, a wine glass. We have right. uh, we have Glen Cairns here. Yeah, I, I like a, a not too big of a wine glass. This is mm-hmm. actually a Riedel red wine glass. It it was at some festival. It came from my house. Um, I like the little bit bigger bowl that it gives, and and particularly mm-hmm. for for finding, um, you know, w- when we are looking 
you know, really at quality control issues, I find it helpful to be able to put my nose at the top of the glass and the bottom. See that? That's a, that's yeah. a, a great exercise there. This you is, know, uh, I like the Glencairns too. I'm, I'm good with those, but uh, this is what I use at home all the time. The glasses that you all use in your tasting room, though, they're not Glencairns. They're, uh, uh, they're, they're stemless, right? Don't, they're just kind of like... Yeah, they're, 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 we call them the mini Glencairn. They're, they're not actually. They're, they don't have the bottom, that little... Yeah, yeah. Piece, that base that uh, the Glencairn does. And we use them in the tasting uh, because, I mean, we're pouring a very small, you know, quarter ounce or something like that in tastings. And that's a very appropriate size for that little kind of a glass. Mm -hmm. uh, but I find that glass too small, actually, if you're really dramming or if you're you're really trying to, to, to qualitatively assess the whiskeys. Uh, I don't use uh, those personally. It's a cute little glass, though. It's a new Riff logo. It is. I do like it. I got a couple of them. All right. So I'm I'm in the nose. It's 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 uh it's smelling pretty. I don't want to. Actually, I don't want to fill anyone's heads uh, with with taste. Now we can we can like uh, we can bottle this at uh, cash drink, unfiltered, all that stuff, right? Yes, that's the only way it could be bottled. Our okay. uh, our cigars are in in a glass that is uh, uh, embossed, uh, barrel proof without fill filtration. Great. So, uh, as to what the proof is on this, I don't know, but it's probably in the range of maybe. 105 to 110. Okay. Uh, the barrels currently that we're we're working with in our in our timeline, as it were, uh, happen to have been stored on somewhat lower flow, floors in the Rick House, and so they have lost a little bit of proof um, from the 110 barreling proof that we use. So uh, we're seeing stuff uh, usually in the 104 to 108. What do you think of the nose, Pete Biff? First off. I, I get a a pretty sweet, and I think it's just because of the Lego Barrel Bourbons and New Riff picks that I've tried. I always get this like cake, and it's just to me. I always get a sweet cake. Sometimes okay. it'll have a different caramelized sugar cake. So that's just I think that's my my bias coming into it. But I always appreciate the sweetness, and I think it kind of interacts with the wood a little bit better. Now, in tasting with you, Biff, you've got quite the nose coming from the wine side. Yeah, um, I agree. And actually, I was it's funny, I was going to ask you because I got into a uh, discussion with somebody that we mutually know and may have mentioned about nose versus everything else, especially when it comes to, like, a, a pick. And I, I tend to, like, be a super nose guy, and I'm, like, always, always, always nosing. And I, I might weigh... Like, I, I think I rely heavily on, on the nose more so. And the discussion was, is it fair to, you know, do, do you put all three components equal or do you kind of put the nose a little bit and then, the you know, the, the rest of the profiles heavier? I'm just kind of curious. Because to me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hugely into the nose. Jay, where, and, do, you, where do you stand on that? What's, uh, when, you, when you are selecting... Um, what is, what is most important to you? Nose, palate, finish? Well, uh, speaking personally, I, I have always really enjoyed the aromatic side of whiskeys. Scotch, mm -hmm. back to those days when I was a, a, a Scotch buyer and, and things like that. Uh, the, the nose is really important to me, uh, on a personal level. Um, I, I, I don't, uh, 
greatly enjoy a whiskey that's got a great unfolding notes. It's one reason why, if you just noticed, I added a little bit of water. Uh, our unfiltered whiskey opens up and additional aromas come out when you hit it with a little bit of water. That's how we routinely evaluate uh, on our quality control panel. But on that QC panel, we insist, especially that, that a single barrel, be, be excellent in all phases. We're not looking for the sweet ones or the honey ones or the spicy ones. We accept that, that our whiskeys could fall anywhere on, on that kind of a continuum. Uh, but we do insist that it's got a solid nose and a solid palate and a solid finish and good texture. We, we don't say, well, we picked this one because it's got a great aroma. I don't know about the rest of it, but the aroma's great. No, it's got to be excellent in all phases. And uh, that's, that's what makes the cut for a new rich single barrel. Happily though, because of how we barrel our whiskey, uh, we get a, a much wider range of flavors than is the norm in, in single barrel bourbon. And it, it's not even something really that we planned that way. Uh, our distillery, uh, uh, Fred, you, you remember the, the gauging room, the gauge tanks, they're not large. They are large enough to hold the output, the spirit, it's about 750 gallons of one distillation only. And so we, we distill a fermenter full of whiskey, it goes in that tank, we cut it and it goes in the barrel. The next fermenter, that gets distilled, that goes in the tank, that gets cut, and that goes in the barrel. So what happens is, more or less discreetly, each lot, each fermenter is barreled from the next one. And that means that four years later, these barrels here not only express the difference between that barrel and that barrel and that barrel, but between that fermenter and fermenter and fermenter. And each fermentation is a little different. This one is really sweet. This one is spicy. This one is dry. This one's not really ready yet. This one is oaky. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a, a real range that way. And, and so if, if there is a preference for something sweet or something dry or something spicy, uh, it could fall anywhere on that continuum from a given fermenter. So we have questions coming in. Uh, Mark asks, is this better than the rye moonshine? I was on Moonshiners last night and tasted the rye moonshine. And yes, Mark, this is better. Uh, and as we, as we go to taste, Jay, uh, a question came in from the chat asking, when can, it be ex when can New Riff expect it to be in Virginia? Thank you for asking. I don't know about Virginia yet, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we are available in the D.C. area uh, at a number of retailers. Uh, but uh, Virginia is a, is a control state. Um, we work in a number of control states, among them Ohio. It's right across the river. It's our my hometown, you know, Cincinnati. Uh, and control states come with, uh, with pros and cons. The, the, the con is you feel like you're getting screwed. The pro is they screw everybody the same. And uh, uh, they, they are actually much better to work with than uh, perhaps one would think. Uh, that said, um, I don't know that Virginia is on our list this year, I'm sorry to say. Uh, ditto for the Carolinas. Uh, we are, uh, I won't say struggling, but uh, we've got our hands full simply to keep up with the demand in our existing markets. And uh, so we're not going uh, wholesale into a place like Virginia. One issue, too, with a control state uh, is that it's, it's hard, you, you have to supply the whole state. You can't just say, well, we'll go to this market. Um, we have to have enough that, that the state of Virginia can reasonably spread it around or the state of Virginia won't be very happy. So uh, there is a, a problem that way, I guess. We well, are in D.C. and you can find it there. And Danny Lynn from Connecticut, who's always saying uh, he always sees his bourbons and he says, well, I can't get it in Connecticut. That's kind of like a fun story on the on the channel. Uh, he says, thank you for coming to Connecticut. 
And everybody, I want you to kind of keep your thoughts to yourself on the barrel pick, so that way nobody really influences another over over what we are tasting. Uh, I can definitely say that this first one out of the gate was very pleasing, and uh, I'm excited to see what we have coming up next in uh, barrel 126. And now Jordan Bishop asked you the question, Jay, what's the advantage of going into the barrel to 110 versus 125? Yeah, great question, Jordan. Thanks for asking. Uh, that was an early you know, qualitative decision that we made to barrel at the lower proof. Um, it does cost us in barrels about 25% more cooperage uh, that we have to buy every year uh, when we distill this much whiskey and we add this much water to go to 110 or 125. Now, if we dilute it all the way to 110, we need more wood. So it's an expensive proposition. We did it because we thought that there were some flavors that we would miss at the higher proof. Not that 125 proof filling uh, makes a bad whiskey by any means. The entire bourbon industry mostly fills at that. Last I checked, they make a great whiskey. Um, but we wanted some of those different flavors, uh, more water-soluble flavors uh, that we would find at the lower proof. But the other compelling reason was in our research, we uncovered that the whiskey would, would very likely show better at the younger age. And so that, that's all, what we're all about here. We, we, we are a very different kind of four-year-old whiskey than many people's four-year-old whiskey. For a lot of the, the industry, no one's pretending that a four-year-old is a great whiskey. They're not pretending it's their best whiskey. They're not imagining it would, oh, I don't know, go to the San Francisco World Spirits Competition and win double gold medals across the portfolio, which our whiskeys did at the age of four. Uh, our need for a four-year-old was very different. You know, <clears throat> humble brag, humble brag. Cheers to that. Hell yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Cheers cheers to that. And listen, as a, as a judge at that competition, uh, you know, I'll tell you that it came close to winning. It came close to winning that year. So cheers. Wow, thank you. Cheers, Jay. So, hey, guys, forgive, forgive me. Which, which, which one are we on right now? Because I, I got a little lost in the, in the first one, to be honest with you. Uh, you got lost as in love with it, and you were wanting to get yourself a little bit back? A that's, little bit? That's, a, that's a given. I was wrapping my head around it. I'm All right. Uh, we are on uh, barrel 126, so 17, 126, 17, 126. So our need for a four-year-old was, was quite different from, from many people's. A lot of four-year-old whiskey, you're supposed to drink it with Coke. You know, it, no one's you're supposed to make a punch out of it. You're supposed to put it in a can and ship it to Australia. We needed a four year old whiskey that would that would be banging, that would make our reputation. Uh, and hopefully we're getting there. Uh, so we needed to do anything we could to make that stuff show better, younger. And if that meant spending more money on barrels, so be it. Um, so mm -hmm. that was a big reason why to get better whiskey, better whiskey, younger, uh, thanks to the low barrel proof. You definitely spend more money on it that way. But that's one of the reasons why New Riff is one of my uh, larger larger parts or percentages of my cellar, because it's another one that I get grief for of, oh, it's too young, and what is this four-year? And, you know, Peerless shares that same young, and you guys are in the same sort of era. And when I've tried your guys' stuff versus a lot of these higher barrel entry proof, and people want to ask me, like, well, what's on the nose? And to me, I'm like, I, I have no idea because you can't smell anything because it's just burnt off and 15 years old, but not, not picking on the 15s. I don't want to get, sorry, I apologize. For that. Anyway, good for your product, I think is harder to do. So 
listen, I mean, you know, uh, here's another thing too. Like, and Jay, I mean, this is this is definitely an expanding conversation we could have. But you know, if you if you take a look at what's happening in the in the brokerage market, there's a lot of like 15 year old stuff coming in of a you know getting out there, and then there's a lot of things you know two to three years old that you can buy on the brokerage market. But there's not a lot of uh, four to six year old. And back in the day, that was the sweet spot for like when you release them four to eight years old was when you would release something. And like, you know, I, I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a change in the American whiskey palette. Uh, I think people are craving that like four year old flavor profile a little bit more. And New Riff has definitely had a play in that. I hope so. You know, my favorite compliment probably that we get, Fred, is is when someone says, and we hear it all the time, you know, they taste it, and I, man, I can't believe it's so good for just four years old. That sounds like a backhanded compliment. It's actually a very deep compliment, and it tells us that we have really done our job when when folks are maybe uncovering that a, a whiskey can be uh, that nice and, and that young. Um, I should like to beat the drum a little bit for for young whiskey, which sounds highly disingenuous because that's what we sell. But there is a, a certain, and this goes for scotch too. Look, I love me some 25-year-old scotch and I love a 15-year-old a, a uh, bourbon like, like we were just talking about. But uh, there's, there's a freshness, uh, a, a, a muscular youthfulness, you know, mm -hmm. uh, especially in cocktails that is really, really a nice thing at a younger age. And that, that, that diminishes when you get up to especially in bourbon, 10, 12, and 15 years old and things like that. There are, are, are you know, pros and cons both ways, but there's a, for a, a good, well-made, well-aged uh, young whiskey, there's there's absolutely a, an attractive thing there. Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, this one nose is a lot older than it is. Uh, it's amazing to me, and I don't want to influence you all too much because we do have to pick this barrel. But um, I really do find that this barrel, uh, barrel 126, is nosing like it's got some quite a bit more age on it. So there we go with that conversation again as we go to barrel 743. Uh, someone asked earlier in the chat, and I apologize for uh, not recalling who it was, but people wanted to know... If there was going to be another, I believe it was branded winter scene or winters, um, the the winter release that you had. Will there be another right. one of those? Winter whiskey, we wound up w calling winter it. Winter whiskey, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yes, there will be. Uh, we we plan for that to be an annual thing, mm -hmm. uh, especially as sort of a reward to our uh, our retail partners um, that went out to our our retail distribution footprint, and. Um, was uh was was a lot of fun of course the, the the recipe involved in that is our chocolate oatmeal stout uh bourbon it's a bourbon uh it's got 60 percent corn but it, it's made up of, of there are oats uh both malted oats and raw oats and a little bit of uh, uh chocolate malt not chocolate flavor not not chocolate dip grains or anything like that chocolate malt is a, a heavily roasted barley Right. Uh, one of the ingredients that you would put into an oatmeal stout beer. So that, that whole beer stemmed from a conversation between myself and our head distiller, Brian Sprantz. And he and I are probably the principal whiskey creators at, uh, at New Riff and bounce ideas around. And, 
and uh, sometimes one of us takes a lead or sometimes the other one does. And in that case, I suggested to Brian, I just queried him, you know, what about oats? Couldn't we put oats in a bourbon? I mean, they make weeded bourbon. We could make oated bourbon. Mm -hmm. And he said, he took that ball and ran with it and said, oatmeal stout. And then he said, chocolate oatmeal stout. He's an ex-brewer, a, a, a pretty much a master grade brewer at Samuel Adams. A hell of a, of a, of a brewer and um, uh, brilliant man. And he came up with this grain bill that simulated in, in bourbon some of the flavors you would get in a chocolate oatmeal stout beer. And so for, for years, as that stuff sat in the, in the warehouse, we would taste it now and then. And we made other batches every year. Uh, we, we thought we had a, a kind of a tiger by the toes here and would be a neat whiskey someday. But when it came time to bottle it, some of our, uh, some of our sales force said, you know, I, I just wonder how many people, first of all, being whiskey drinkers, maybe they don't know what chocolate oatmeal stout is. And secondly, how many people think that it, it's chocolate flavored? Well, that's the last thing we wanted anyone to think. So uh, it, we, we thought, dreamed up, you know, I think Ken Lewis suggested, you know, I kind of wouldn't mind something that was winter. And uh, so it, it's a fun thing to release in the winter. And it, yes, it will be back. So I think everybody, you know, watching this and uh, listening later, that's an, that's an example of, of like using marketing to tell the story of the whiskey and, and, and not the... Um, and not necessarily, you know, making something up. I mean, that you you sharing that Jay is is like it's fascinating because you basically you took us inside like a, a room of making a decision about a brand, and you said, you know, two things that I have to deal with every time I talk to someone about a chocolate malt. I remember tasting the chocolate malts from Bushmills, you know inside their distillery 10 years ago and coming home and explaining to people and like wait it's chocolate like no 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 it's a chocolate malt like the the efforts that it takes to describe things to people like it can be the difference between selling a bottle and not selling a bottle so that's that's some really interesting insight and a, an example of how to use marketing in a way to tell the story of the whiskey and not hurting what the whiskey is yeah that's a great way to put it fred thanks it was, it was important to streamline it and simplify it a little bit. And while uh, while it didn't bother me to say oated, we thought generally oated <laughs> didn't really roll off the tongue in a mellifluous way. So uh, I we didn't I, I feel like that. oated I feel like oated is going to somehow get caught up in like a Vikings lore, you know, like it's too <laughs> close to Odin, you know, you know, it might have it might have worked in your favor. You've been at Renaissance fairs being alongside the turkey leg you know i mean who knows who knows <laughs> all right 743 is uh definitely tasting uh different to me 743 is an outlier uh, of the of the two in terms of like not following to me what is a traditional new riff flavor profile but what i also find interesting is that new riff is you have a bit of a house style but it, it it veers off a little bit, especially with the with the barrel picks, and um, I think that's why it's always so much fun to taste your taste your stuff. It's Thanks. not well, the, it's I, not the I, same old same old. As I was explaining, the um, the 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 fact of our of our barreling regimen that those tanks are so small makes an outsized influence in the single barrels. We had no intention 
of that being the case. We just we 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 built small gauge tanks because we're small. Mm -hmm. uh, we we didn't have room for a gauge tank, a cistern room as big as your house. Um, and it, in fact, I think we were bottling single barrels for some time before we realized, man, it's not just the barrel that makes a difference. These lots are different from the fermenter on up. And Tim Evans points out that uh, uh, the maltster was his favorite. Of course, the maltster was up for my uh, bourbon of the year last year, the weeded version. And I thought that was a, a beautiful expression. I mean, yeah, thank was, you. You have you have a lot of very unique stuff coming out. Is there anything new that you can mention now that's uh, that's coming out as we taste through these and start analyzing each one of them? Well, we, we will. Uh, I mean, there are so many uh, specialties is, is our internal name, for want of a better term, specialty whiskeys that we've made. And some of them we've only made once. Uh, for example, that Maltster weeded that you mentioned, uh, we have we made it once. That was our first weeded bourbon. And uh, later we made different weeded bourbons, but we haven't actually repeated that one yet. And uh, now we like it so much that we may uh, go and make another batch of it this year. Um, the, that, that particular weeded recipe uh, that was inspired by uh, German wheat beers that, that Brian Sprantz, our head distiller, former brewer, and I love also myself a, a good Hefeweizen. Uh, so there are some that we have repeated and some that we have not. Uh, folks this year can look forward to additional releases, uh, particularly of our Balboa rye. Uh, we don't really have more of it than we did before, but uh, the Balboa Rye, which won Best Rye Whiskey in America at the uh, John Barleycorn uh, Awards this past fall, uh, is an heirloom. What's a, another toast? Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, that's a really exciting whiskey for us because it reaches back into local and, and Midwestern grain traditions and farming traditions. It's an heirloom rye grain that dates from the 1930s. And by the 40s and the 50s, it was a very common grain to be grown in this part of the country. It's a little hardier in the northern climes than some of the rye uh, strains like Abruzzi that were grown further south from here. Um, and uh, so stumbling into Balboa, which our farmer, our corn farmer, had been growing for, for years as a cover crop, he fed it to animals. He said to me early on, I think it was September 14, we'd only been running a few months. He said, by the way, you know, I, I grow some rye too. I fell over in my chair practically and said, send us some, please. And it's it's this heirloom rye. So there will be some more of that out this year. That's fantastic. Well, Jay, we, we got some decisions to make now. Uh, we have to, we need to go through these these bourbons to make the decision. And yes, it is, it is for my club, but I want to make sure that we're that we're all in agreement on what what goes forward. So, so Pete, Biff, uh, you know, three votes on this, and it and it, ma it really matters. So let's go let's go around the horn, and start talking about like uh, each one of them. I'll start with uh, three four four nine. I found three four four nine to be like uh, some rye toast with a pat of like butter, and then kind of like some smokiness to it. Like it was kind of like a back and forth of like this like butter dry toast and some like like a like a charred marshmallow it was a very it was a very fascinating example of how smoke can like fit into an american whiskey but not overpower it pete what was your thoughts on three three four three four four nine um i really like this one and i think only one of them stood out to me as like well i know which one is 
not like the other, or not as favorable as the other two. Um, but in terms of uh, taste profile on this one, the smokiness came out for me later. I still, I got it a little bit more sweeter. So I mean, maybe that's just where, like maybe what you were, you, you were calling out uh, marshmallow. Maybe that was just kind of the sweetness that I was thinking I was getting, but I see what you mean by like a little bit of a spicier sweetness than some of their other ones that I've had. Well, uh, Biff, are you able to apply some of those old-school uh, sommelier wine-level uh, tasting notes to this one? Well, call this with the uh, the sniffer pick. So um, my initial uh, – We're losing – I think we're losing Biff. Are you all hearing Biff? Uh oh, it was getting a little choppy there. Biff is choppy. He's uh, he's yelling at his dog, trying to figure it out. It's not the dog's fault though, Biff. All right, so as we try to regain Biff here in the world of uh, streaming, oh, you back? Kind of back. All right, so we'll we'll go to uh, we'll go to uh, Jay real quick. What did you think of uh uh? Four four nine. Uh, I liked all three of these. Uh, four four nine. Um, I don't think I picked up as quite as much smoke as as uh, some of you guys did. Um, in fact, I got it in an, another one later that that I'll mm -hmm. discuss then. Okay. Um, four four nine. I thought pretty generally well balanced. You know, there's a word I use in my own tasting notes and so on. Classical, meaning that it it's you know straight down the middle of what what bourbon typically is, or most certainly what New Riff typically is. Uh, a, a whiskey, for example, that's got an extreme amount of spice, maybe isn't quite so classical, or an extreme amount of confection. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a just sort of a generally all-around, well-balanced New Riff barrel. I agree. I, I agree it has a lot of that, but I, the, the, the smokeness to me is like, it's like on the toast. It's like you have like, 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 the toast is just a, a slightly burnt kind of smoke, not. Yeah. And uh, looks like Biff is coming back. All right, Biff. All right, ooh, look at that good clean frame. Now. All right, talk talk to us about four 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 nine. Jeez, sorry, trying to do this from a typewriter, I think. So, um, my my initial reaction on the nose was like a trace leches cake almost and then i was like it was like a, a wet dense white cake a little bit of like jammy berry wow that that was and then the taste i mean the uh caramel you know but then i i did get a, a breadiness which i think is when you guys were talking about the smoke i think i was thinking of that as like a, a, a toasted bread or something or bread mm -hmm. um that's the notes that i had and Jay, that's that's the beauty of tasting. It's 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 so subjective, and we're all so different. It's 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 a fascinating study of really of, of like people. You know, like we're we all taste something different. We can all agree we like four four nine, but we can also say that we all called out something very unique and and brought it to the table. And that's there is no right answer. It's just your answer. And I kind of wish mm -hmm. that I kind of wish that. Uh, college and high school was like this, where like you're never wrong. It's whatever you like. <laughs> I'd have been an A. I'd have been an A student. Hey, can I tease Jay about this? Since uh, 
we were talking on the last uh, Fred Minute Club when you when you came in with the rye, but I was going to say, Fred, you just had to go to a, a liberal arts school like I did in Ohio, <laughs> and then it's a lot more essay answers. Fantastic. Yeah, Amen. yeah. My degree is actually in science. It's in um, so agricultural communications, which is on the science side of of that. But I think I probably would have done better in liberal arts, definitely. All right, so let's break down um, uh, 126. This one, without sharing what my favorite is of the group so far, this one to me had some a lot of sweetness. It had some cigar box. It had some oiliness to it. Well, you know, 126 was a, was a knockout beauty for me. I definitely got the tobacco on there, too. Sorry, Biff. I feel unqualified with all you guys here. My, I'm probably the worst of the, the profile here. So I'm going to go ahead and unmute you, Biff. Go ahead. Um, to me, the, the biggest difference between this, this one stood out to me, especially on the nose, because it, it had a, a, a buttery, more like unctuous, like a little bit of fattiness more to the, to the nose, you know, buttery vanilla. And then there was a, something that I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just put like minerality to it. Um, and then at, at one point I even got a hint of like a, a, a tiny bit of like a creme de menthe, like a really soft mint type. And, you know, of course, brown sugar and all that. But yeah, Biff, Biff those are really interesting uh, descriptors. Um, we, um, to the point of something like creme de menthe, um, one of the expressions, the notes we often see in our, uh, that comes from the rye that we use, 30% uh, rye in this grainville. And of course, we see it also in our rye whiskey is indeed a sort of minty thing. But it's not usually like peppermint candy or Altoids or something like that. It's a little more floral, minty, member of the mint family. More like wintergreen, mm -hmm. spearmint. Uh, sometimes it crosses into things like uh, like root beer, you know, sarsaparilla and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I frequently get some mint. Um, I love these whiskeys with a, a mint julep, and I don't wait for the Kentucky Derby to drink them. Uh, the other <laughs> the other point you um, mentioned uh minerality i'm a wine guy also i used to teach wine education at the party source and I, i'm a, as much a wine lover as as a whiskey lover probably and, and i miss wine I, I i miss working in wine i'm not going to give up whiskey for wine but but i love it to death and uh i frequently also write down minerality uh for our whiskeys but differently than in the than in the the, the, the world of wine when i trace minerality in in our whiskey, it, I derive it more from the grassy side of rye. Um, probably doesn't hurt either that our water uh, that we distill from has got, it, it's, it's a natural aquifer that is supplying New Rift distilling with uh, 500 gallons a minute of very hard and mineral rich water. There's about four times the dissolved minerality in our distilling water from the local tap water. Uh, and maybe that lends a, a little bit of a contribution as well. But Primarily, I trace it to this grassy side of rye, a chance that the rye, the, the, the grain has a chance to pick up, just as in, in, in grapes, maybe pick up a little bit of something from the soil. Yeah, rye is definitely, rye is definitely like um, a, a grain that, because it has to fight a little harder. You mentioned earlier your, your, your corn grower talking about using rye as a cover crop. Like the rye that's in the world, I mean, it, it, it's not making the farmers any money. I mean, the rye whiskey that's being made today uh, is, is a nice little additive. But, I mean, rye has fallen out of fashion 
for farmers, corn is how you make your money. Maybe a little bit of wheat, definitely soybeans, but it's it's corn, soybeans, corn, so, corn soybeans. Yeah. And like, no and so the rye that's alive today had to fight to live, you know? So you, you're talking about something much like the grapes you want, like in wine, you want a grape, you want a vine that's had to work its ass off to survive and it works harder and that grape tastes a little bit better. So I, I think that's a, that's a great call out on the, on the minerality. And I will also say minerality is also a, you know, for those who are, are watching or is, can often be a note that you find in, uh, in Dusty's. You know, it's called a little bit of a dankness, but it's it's like uh, uh, it's it's very very similar. And like this does have a little bit of also kind of like an old dusty, like a nineteen fifty five uh, uh, old granddad kind of like note to it in there. But uh, fascinating discussion here, and definitely Biff. You know, I'm glad you were able to get the uh, the internet working back as we go to uh, seven forty three to give our final assessment on that but this has been so much fun here as we're going into the final round to make our to make our choice so this is a very powerful one for me it's very buttery uh it's like there is a there's like a jalapeno and like a caramel note happening all at once. It's got like the spice and sweetness kind of back and forth, but it's not, there's not any flaws in it. It's very clean, but it, to me, like this buttery mouthfeel is something that I just keep kind of gravitating toward with it. And I'm a, I'm a big, big, big fan of mouthfeel. And this is just, this hits all the marks on mouthfeel. Pete, where are you at with it? So this one was the one that came off as a bit more, I guess, like funkier. I want to say like a, maybe a little deeper into the sour mash or something like reacting with the wood where I get more like this. I, I preferred the, the profiles of the other two. And I think that's just because going back to like what I've come to what I'm what I love about new riffs so much that this one's kind of different. And I appreciate that one. It's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely an outlier. There. Like, I mean, I don't get a lot of uh, new riff that has this mouthfeel to it, and and that I am in love with mouthfeel. And I'm not saying it's my favorite. I don't want to sway anybody one way or the other, but it's 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 definitely different, definitely different. And and here's the thing, Pete, is I I feel like this actually falls in the in the line of uh, of, uh, of of peerless a little bit. So that it's kind of shocking to hear you say this has because it has that the very similar on the approach on the palate yeah yeah i i see what you're saying there but to me it's um it's it's just strain a little bit from you know what i was expecting i guess so i got i got spoiled by the first two and i came in here looking for something and it you know well there's no like we said earlier there's no wrong answer biff where are you at with this one uh i totally agree that that it's not anywhere near the other two, completely different. Um, it's funny because, well, the only thing worse than my internet is my handwriting, but I'll point out that I had uh, brown sugar, vanilla, and then tobacco, and then I I, I said, uh, there's like, a, and, the, and I'm just talking about the nose here, which is weird. I picked up almost a little bit of a salinity on the nose, which I definitely didn't get from the others, and that's on the nose. And then the, the uh, palette, completely different than what I was expecting, 
Um, and you said jalapeno. I wrote down jalapeno. Peppery cayenne was my initial. Um, you know, like that punch. And then, you know, a little leather and some other things that uh, I didn't get nearly as much on the others. But, um, yeah, it's definitely an outlier. And to be honest, without going into the, you know, who's my one, two, three, this was initially my, you know, again, they're all great, of course, but this was this was going to be my number three. But now that I've, I've come back to it, before you guys started talking, and now your brain plays tricks on once you hear other things and pick it up. But I'm, I'm really starting to dig this one, frankly, but uh, more so than the run through. But it's definitely, definitely different than the others. Sure. All right. All right, Jay. These are your babies. Tell us what you think about, you know, this particular child. On 743, I, I concur completely with the, um, the mouthfeel. Um, I'm, I'm pleased that we have whiskeys with such huge mouthfeel. When you, you open a whiskey distillery, you've never distilled whiskey in your life. None of us, all of us put together at New Riff had distilled this much booze when we opened the place. And, uh, and, and yet here we are. Um, you, you, you don't know, you can't go into it saying, well, we're going to make a big full-bodied mouth whiskey. You can do some things that, that will push it in that direction. I think 30% rye in the mash bill helps. But uh, gosh, the, the, the biggest thing of all was finding that aquifer right underneath our distillery, 100 feet down of this water that, hey, if you ever visit New Riff, I'll give you a taste of the water. We serve it to people on the tours sometimes. The water tastes big. It's, it's a big mouthfeel of, of a water. It's this big, broad-shouldered kind of water. You taste it, it's like, man, that water's really got some flavor. I'm sure that is the beginning of our broad and, and full-bodiedness that, that we show enjoy and, and that I know Fred likes. Um, that's coming out in spades in 743. Um, I, uh, I, I see what, where, where Peter's going with some of his comments and uh, 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 Biff, too. Uh, I run across whiskeys like this sometimes, and I don't think there's anything, uh, shall we say, out of spec or anything with this barrel, but it definitely goes to one sort of end of the spectrum uh, in terms of some of those uh, more sort of grassy, rye-derived flavors. Um, I also wonder, too, if uh, we are experiencing a little bit here because the, these have been bottled for, I mean, I've had my set of these samples for about a week. Uh, mm -hmm. or 10 days or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, our whiskey being unchill filtered uh, reacts, in my experience, and a lot of people's experience here, reacts quite uh, powerfully with, with a little bit of air and a little bit of time. Uh, case in point, I was tasting uh, four rye samples yesterday, and they had a, a very unusual flavor, like buttered salty popcorn or something like that, just really odd, and, and it was okay, but it was not typical new riff rye i let them sit overnight i tried them again this morning and uh oh bang on that's new riff rye all the way all the spice and everything that we've come to expect from that so when you are here doing a barrel pick and tasting things right out of the barrel it is in a very different state than when it's been bottled i sometimes hear from consumers or, or friends of mine that say you know i i came back to it a week later and it was delicious um whereas when they pop that bottle for, uh, for the first time, it was, it was different. Uh, maybe uh, to, to carry on with Biff's uh, wine background as well, there could be a little bit of, of something reductive in there that just as wines need a little bit of time or, or change with a little bit of air and so on, you, you decant that, that 1971 Barolo before you drink it, that kind of thing. 
uh, perhaps our whiskey does as well. So I wonder if you guys might be uh, experiencing a little bit of that. And if you come back to these samples in, in you know, tomorrow or five or six days from now, you might find that they have shifted a little bit in their in their eq profile if you will well and and jay that's a little bit into the whiskey maker's psyche as well like you have to like you have to taste a barrel and its progression and you have to know when it will be best to bottle and you know a, a whiskey taster is very different than a whiskey maker you know the whiskey taster is just yeah. judging the end product you are having to judge what you're going to put your name on you know, so it's it's a very different mind process of um, of tasting, and so that that descriptor is fantastic. Thank uh, you. <laughs> but but that said that said, you know, well give us give us a give us a like uh, a percentage of how much these whiskeys will change uh, to when they're bottled. Um, you know, do you see like do do you normally see like a, a variance of ten percent, fifteen percent? I tasted some where like the ones that make you like cut it down to like ninety proof or something like that. I mean, you, you can't. That's not a fair barrel pick. It's very very difficult to add water there in the place and taste. It's just it's very difficult. But uh, do you have an idea of what your variance is in terms of flavor difference? Do you mean in terms of we're tasting it today and it won't be bottled for a few weeks? Correct. Okay. Uh, I, at that, I would say very little. Um, it's it's uh, you know I referred earlier to the to the age differences between these. We have the sixth of December, sixteen, the sixth of January, and the third of February. That's that's two months total between them all, an inconsequential amount of age. It's that's not the difference in age here is is not a really a big factor. Um, there's a, a very small evolution, and and one would be hard pressed to see it pulling a sample these samples today and a sample the day before we bottle it. But but like us not, Fred, uh, this will be bottled too sweet. Um, we pulled these samples the same day. It was a, again a couple of weeks ago. We sent these out to you. Um, they will probably be bottled quite quite rapidly. Um, we have a a hardworking, you know, butt kicking, barrel rolling, bottle stuffing, <laughs> barrel uh, bottling line that uh, that can crank these things out. We bottle, you know, up to fifteen uh, single barrels in a day, and uh, we've we've done so many of them that, and such a large percentage of our output is is as a single barrel, comparative to other distilleries that we've gotten pretty good at it. And we were always we hear from from retailers all the time when they take a, a private barrel order and they say, well, I'll take barrel three. What's the timeline on that? Expecting that it might be six months or nine months or a long time because mm -hmm. so much of the bourbon industry is really behind the eight ball right now. We are, I guess, small enough and deft, nimble enough that we tell them well, it's going to be there. And, you know, it's really down to the distributor, like, I don't know, three weeks, three weeks. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. And uh, yeah. we just get it done fast and get it out to uh, to our distributor. Uh, it probably helps, uh, side note, to the point of running, you know, whiskey processing and, and a whiskey distribution company, which we also are, of course. Um, it, it's fair to say that being so much smaller, we, we don't have, we're not in, someone asked earlier, how many states are you in? Well, we're not in 50 states. 
we're not in you know 30 states um, so we have a, a, a smaller you know smaller meal on our plate to deal with uh, mm -hmm. and so we can pull that off at least right now I, I think we can keep it going uh, so this this will not be you know oh it's gonna be six months before we bottle this it's gonna go through the summer it could change drastically that's probably not gonna be the case Fred well, that's. I think the whiskeys have changed as we've let them like sit out, and maybe we've changed a little bit as we've sipped a little bit. But uh, I have my clear cut uh, number one, uh, and then I have one that I would not like to see. But there's two in here uh, that I'm ready to bottle right now for for the club, Pete and uh, and Biff. And by the way, the club now will be fulfilled by Sealbox. My good friend Blake Ryber is going to be uh, going to be, uh, you know, selling these. So uh, those who did the club were part of the club. You know, you're grandfathered in, and you're going to be getting these sweet barrel picks. And I will tell you that right now, I am so excited about what we're picking here, and. I, I, I want to know what everyone's favorite is. So let's just say it all. I guess, like, you know, you're going to be the tiebreaker here, Jay. You'll be the tiebreaker. Um, so let's just all, all three, on the count of three, just say it out loud what our favorite is. Are you good with that, gentlemen? How, how are we identifying them? Like one, two, three? Well, no, the barrels, like by the barrel number. Do you see the barrel number? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. All right. You ready? One, two, three. One, two, six. All right. I didn't hear what you said. So that didn't work. 26. 26? You're 26. All right. So it's unanimous. We all picked 126. Works that, for me. I'm just, just checking, and that would be uh, the second one we tried, right? Yeah, second one. And yeah. I will, and I will tell you uh, that I think there is, I think the the whiskey up here that's going to be the most special down the road, if it can be bottled at a later date, like I think seven forty three. Uh, Jay, I think what you have in that, and I've tasted this, I've tasted barrels through their progression. This reminds me. Of like of like a like a stag progression tasting I did a long time ago um, with Harlan, and uh, I don't think it's I don't think I think I think uh, 126 is ready right now. I think 743 in a couple more years is so special. So if you can hold that for me, that you know in two years that would be awesome. But I of course I know these are all in a rotation. But I think 126, I mean, how exciting is this, that we did 126 for our very first, like, live stream picking? I'm so excited about this. Is unanimous a thing? Does that normally happen or what? I I have very rarely been on unanimous picks. Very rarely. I'm usually, I'm usually like, uh, a part of the losing group, you know? But uh, unless, unless I have the deciding vote. For what it's worth, I, I have a. Uh, oops, sorry, Jack. For, for what it's worth, I think I would have picked uh, the second one as well, uh, one twenty-six. I like three four four nine. He says like that to, to all. He says that to all the barrel clubs. By the way. <laughs> yeah, the smoky <laughs> thing I got in that was was very cool. And by the way, when when you taste 
smoky and a new riff whiskey. Uh, we taste it, I won't say often, but repeatedly, probably in a month's worth of batches. And we taste every lot that comes down the, the, the pike out of the warehouse. Um, there might be one batch or maybe every other month, one batch that has this smoky quality. It has nothing to do, by the way, with the backsetter whiskey that we made that featured uh, a backset of peated uh, malted barley. Uh, that was a, a one-time thing that has nothing to do with that. I cannot explain to you where this smoky element comes in New Riff Whiskey. Um, it may well be a factor of that attention that we pay to the single fermenter that gets eventually barreled. Uh, but we, we, we have seen over the years repeatedly that smoky is a, it's a part of the, the new riff tasting lexicon. It doesn't happen often, but it happens repeatedly. And I, I don't know where it comes from. You would think that it's, well, that barrel company or that cooperage. Mm -hmm. but we see it in both of our coopers. I, I don't know what it is. Well, that's, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And as we kind of close out, because I, Jay, I know you got a, you, you've got a family to get to. As as do I, and you know Biff and uh, Biff and Pete have got stuff to do as well. But I mean the the the, the nuances and the variances that New Riff provides in such a short amount of time. To me, it is. I think that's one of the greater stories with New Riff is that New Riff is is it it it's doing. You're not doing flavoring. You're not doing blending. You know, you're you are creating your own stuff, and you have a variation of flavor profiles based on grain, and and it's fascinating to see what you've been able to do in such a short amount of time. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate that. All right. Well, uh, everybody, it was great having you on. To everybody who joined us live, thank you so much. If you haven't right now, click the subscribe button, click the like button all the things that you're supposed to say when you're on YouTube. But I want to say a big, big shout out to my, uh, to my guest, Biff Benson, Pete Sabo. Uh, you all have been fantastic. Great tasting with you all. And thank you both so much for the support uh, in the past year, being a part of my YouTube channel and uh, also supporting, you know, the whiskey club. That support means the world to me. Thank you so much. Cheers. And Jay, look, man, we've we've had such a good time over the years, but tonight was special for me, as always. Like you know, you're like uh, we always have like a good time, but you have got to get off your ass and write that damn book about <laughs> Northern Kentucky distilling and Cincinnati whiskey history. I didn't even tell you I was going to do what I did earlier, but you knew I was because every time right. we see each other, I'm on your ass about it. And You'll be pleased to know I am I am beginning that process and actually writing a, uh, uh, a sort of an encyclopedia entry for the history of Newport that involves uh, whiskey history in Newport. So baby steps, Fred, baby steps. That's, it's a start. It's a start. And if your degree was not in English and all this literature, I would not be on you so hard. But, man, listen, I'm always it's always a great moment to spend a time with you. Uh, Jay, thank you so much uh, for wherever you're watching. Thank you for joining us. And remember, when we drink this together, life is always better. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Brad. Cheers, my friend. Vodka sucks, by the way. <laughs>